You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! Everybody, it is the TNT review. This is Tim Jausman, and joining me, still recovering from a skiing accident, all the way in Portland, Maine. It is the Reverend Tracy. How you doing? I am actually healing super well, guys. For any of you that actually cared about the status of my hip, um, I think I'm fine, actually. So I put on my skis after it snowed on Friday, and was literally just going back and forth in the backyard to see how mm-hmm. it feels, and also like. If you're an active lifestyle person, you kind of get used to the idea that sometimes you do need to do a little bit of active recovery, like not doing everything to your hardest, you know, 100% playing basketball or something, Mm -hmm. but you should do something to move your body. So I did start to do a little bit of yoga begrudgingly. And I went in the backyard and like tried a little bit of skate or like skiing back there. And I sat down to take off my boot and there was the most glorious (laughs) eye-watering satisfying pop so uh, i think this just more than confirmed to me from what i understand is that i dislocated my hip Mm -hmm. there was some swelling and it wasn't quite in alignment and when the swelling went down it went back um which is funny because everyone's like oh my god i can't believe you didn't see a doctor and i'm like i don't know maybe it's my country raising but usually you try to give your body a chance like before you go and, and pay somebody to do it. Cause I mean, usually our bodies do have somewhat of an ability to recover if you give it the kind of support it needs. Mine was just, I needed to take an Epsom salt bath, uh, some ibuprofen really fucking helped and then uh, do a little bit of yoga to stretch stuff. So I am a okay. Now, if I wasn't on the mend, I, I would have gone to the doctor. I'm not that person either, but you know, if, if it hadn't been improving every day, but very dramatic turnaround since, you know, the stars decided to align. Um, but yeah, so we got hit with another crazy snow. How is it going in the other Portland? Uh, it is nice and rainy uh, today. Uh, just, yeah, rain everywhere. Um, yeah, I didn't have as wild a week as you did. Um, so I didn't have any joints dislocated or anything like that. Um, we were close to adopting a cat. Um, we talked about this on uh, Friends Talking Nerdy. You can uh, head over to uh, that podcast feed to find out a little bit more. But somebody else snagged the cat first. It was, uh, I guess, a flame point Siamese cat. So of course they were going to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love the, mm-hmm. you said a flame point. I've heard of the seal point cats, mm-hmm. but I mean, I haven't been exposed to every cat ever. I, I mean, I worked in shelters is a weird, you know, I know you know <laughs> that, but our listeners might not, but uh, yeah, I don't I, I think I've heard of a flame point cat. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a nice mix of yellow and orange. 
so just really it was a really nice cat um also and when the professor saw that saw the cat she had some tears in her eyes like get it adopted and but but of course somebody else had to snag it so we're still waiting and um last thing too i did uh see the movie jackass forever in theaters and oof (laughs) was it forever like it was too long and you wish you could have your time back this type of humor does not work well with 50 year olds doing it. Um, it. It really doesn't, you know, like Johnny Knoxville is moderately successful in Hollywood. So, you know, he, you know, he does this for the fun, but some of the other people in the jackass crew are not in his boat. And, you know, just some of some of the things were funny. I love the stupid stuff like that. So I definitely enjoyed it, but just, just a lot of those people just felt like, like uh, they were there for the paycheck and and willing to put themselves through anything for that. And like, Ooh. Oof. Yeah. That's painful. Um, you don't, you don't like to see that in, in your stuntmen or your, uh, your favorite burger drive-through places. Like you, you never want to see somebody like with that look of like, I'm only doing this because I absolutely fucking have to. And is that what you're saying that you kind of yeah. like the thing yeah. want to be there? <laughs> yeah. Like one guy, they like, they had this scene in the trailer, um, but obviously they went a little bit more. It was a guy hooked up to a chair under the pretense of taking a lie detector test, but then Johnny Knoxville pours honey all over him and then pours salmon in his lap walks out the room and then a bear walks into the room, (laughs) you know, and, and like the guy sitting in the chair is just like, what the fuck? And, and like, he's scared, but like, it it, it was also that, and maybe I'm reading into it, but the look on his face really was like, do I really need to be doing this? (laughs) Well, I will take your word for it. I don't think I've, like on purpose watch jackass if that makes sense like i know it's been on in the background at some point because i know wasn't it a show too or something because uh yeah it started off as uh independent uh skating videos um and then uh mtv picked it up and um and you know that it the jackass tv show could only go so far they tried the movies the movies allowed them to do a lot more crazy stuff and you know again it is not for everybody i'm not proclaiming that but just i i was just like really disappointed watching it. <laughs> well you know but at least you you gave it a chance True, true. <laughs> you're just you i love the dad in you that came out like you just told ben's like i'm just really disappointed in you boys <laughs> yeah how dare you you know anyway <laughs> speaking of that that is a great segue into episode two of Ephes for family uh the season one episode two uh show saturday bloody saturday Yes. Saturday, bloody Saturday, because the one it was just a play off of, you know, the fact that they had the bloody Sunday right before. Mm -hmm. And so this is the next weekend, the Saturday, I believe, is what they were trying to imply by that. Not super important. It very well could have just been like the next day, um, other than you do kind of have an awareness that's happening on a weekend, I guess. Right. Um, Yeah. And just 
Yeah, I mean, overall, really good episode. And uh, like we do it here on the TNT Reviews, if the, if you were only hearing us on the TNT Review and never heard us on uh, Friends Talking Nerdy, this is how we do it. Uh, we're going to go through a list of some of the topics that are touched upon on the show and kind of relate our own personal stories to them. I think the best stories are ones that you can relate to. And, you know, we found that, uh, th- you know, talking about that has been uh, really fulfilling. We're going to talk about our favorite lines from the episode. Um, we're also going to talk about the good, the bad, and then ultimately give you our verdict. Yay, meh, or nay? Yes. Because we decided to go with three. We used to basically just get decision fatigue over numbers and overthink the shit. So we Mm -hmm. just go with uh, you know, watch it and maybe you can pass this one or like just just don't don't watch it don't watch it at all actually you can just like have a better life never having seen this particular (laughs) episode of a series and that being said i think that's going to be super rare i i would have a strong suspicion most of the time it's going to be yay or meh um i've no again if this is your first time i've seen a lot of this stuff we, we tend to have that pattern where the reverend binges it and then we watch it with tim later <laughs> and that's usually my thing i mean i'm i'm usually the type i've talked about it on friends talking nerdy before i'm the type that usually will pick up on popular stuff about 10 to 15 years after it first comes out so <laughs> like i like this past year is is the first year i've gotten into rick and morty for example so oh yeah that. and they just had like another season come out too so and i'm curious when that one's gonna end so who knows maybe that one could be on our chopping block i don't know just because it doesn't really seem like it covers the type of com the type of content that we go into in these reviews but uh who knows what roads we may decide to go down later yeah we'll have plenty i mean like yeah i mean if with rick and morty i think that's a little too cynical you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of the times we'd be like, you just don't do that. that. I mean, that would be that would be us reviewing. But how about we dive into some topics here, unless you had anything else you wanted to say. No, let's get to the topic. Speaking of cynical, I do love that Ephesus family does have quite a bit of dark humor, which we'll get into as well in this episode. <laughs> Like the airplane the video. Oh, yeah. That was something I noticed. Like, they really ripped the Band-Aid off with the dark humor in this episode. It's it's something that really set it off, like, to me, uh, especially coming from the first pilot episode. Right. All right. Well, then, let's dive into it. Uh, topic number one, how dad or a comparable authority figure coming home can be scary. And that references the uh, opening scene. And um, myself, I grew up in a single parent household with my mother, but it was much the same, you know, like we could, my sister and I would be acting like fools, but then you hear her car pull up, you hear the door opening up. It's like instant quiet and like, hello, mother. (laughs) Oh, and same thing, by the way. And I think it's funny that both of us, it was the matriarch in our system that was like that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I never remember feeling that way about my dad. Like, even when he did eventually remarry and with my stepmother, uh, yeah, she was still the one that I (laughs) was not super, like, comfortable being in my moods around. Because it's something you even notice with Sue is the kids are very comfortable being in their moods with Sue, but they all change the minute dad pulls up. And that is something that crazy relatable there uh it seemed to be kind of that embraceable thing that you quote should be doing and quote as a parent for a while there is the idea that somebody needed to be the stern the heavy the good cop the bad cop you know yeah so very much they're showing that dynamic in this and uh 
Yeah, it was funny was like there was a lot of times that my mother was single. So I just for a long time didn't have a good cop. My good cop was every other weekend away Um, (laughs) because, you know, it wasn't like I could just text and uh, duo or do a video call anytime I wanted to talk to my dad. So, you know, I just I lived in that side of it, which was kind of sucky for its own reasons. Yeah, because ultimately that's not playing the bad cop. That's just trying to be your friend to, you know, because my dad did the same thing. You know, he was great to us or at least me, uh, you know, every time we went to see him on the weekends. But by doing that, he was manipulating the situation to where, you know, he he knew that he could be the good guy, if that makes sense. Like I could be as angry with my mother as as I want, but then I can go to him and he can be the hero. Did you have to deal with that? It depends, though, because see, and I know you and I have both nerded out and listened to that hidden brain about intention reading. And we are really bad about reading other people's intentions, guys. Like if we hadn't accidentally made that clear, <laughs> um, it's not always that simple because sometimes that, especially when it is a visitation type relationship, it can be very hard to extend that parental authority because you don't get the time, especially when it's skewed like that differently. The weight is so different you don't get recovery like yes it is important to be a disciplinary but it's also super important to have the time for turnarounds so i mean you you were there for your father so i definitely don't want to say like that but for me on my interpretation was that you know i still had that very comfortable relationship with him that i didn't have anymore in that everyday home Mm-hmm. Is that like uh, I never really got the wind that it was for like him trying to make me his buddy because there were times that I was still like disciplined. I was just one of those like, oh, my gosh, if he told me he was upset with me, I was done. I was devastated. I will change whatever you need me to. <laughs> um, but that's just how I was as a kid. Like, you know, my mom yeah. could have just as easily said she was disappointed in me and it would have actually had the same effect. She just still was like a spanker. And, and that type of human. So, yeah, no, yeah that, so different. <laughs> yeah. And like the thing with my dad too, like I can honestly remember only two times he ever raised his voice. And like both times he did that, both my sister and I laughed in his face. Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, generally the, I mean, I, I think my sister would agree too. like, generally when we were at his place on the weekends, I mean, it was only two days. So we didn't really have too much time to really goof around that much. Um, you know, but yeah, just, you know, for my case, he was a little on the manipulative side, but that does not mean my mother wasn't either. She was a head job. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then you can also get into those whole situations, which you know more about you know, nowadays and how, you know, split families are more common. That's what's kind of interesting is this back in the 70s, they very well could have been a split family, but because of the time, they very much stuck together. Um, it's really kind of different nowadays in, in those respects of anyway it, it, I don't want, basically I, I don't want to go too far into the, the the split families since this is really more about we've got Their that family. authoritative yeah like and yeah. that's what's interesting is I don't remember the, ever having that like in the same household I guess is where I do find I kind of relate to it but I kind of don't because did I have that parent that when they came home it was oh yes I did but did I also have that that caretaker parent, that one that kind of almost uh, mediates in between like Sue does? Did I have that in the house all the time? No, I did not. So unfortunately, when that parent came home, I got the full 
or my brother and I both got the full brunt of that bad mood. We didn't have that person in that role to actually like intervene in the moment. At least Uh not that I remember. I was really young. And then of course, you know, any stepdad mostly just didn't intervene. They they were just kind of a figure that sat at the table. Like I don't remember any of them actually being like in a very parental mood, if you know what I'm saying. Um, at any point, like, I just don't remember them ever filling that gap either. They just kind of sat there and experienced what was happening around them in this family that they were observing. (laughs) And that could be understandable too, depending on how long that person has been there. I mean, if they've been in your life, like five, six years, and they're still acting like they first met you probably a little bit of a problem there. Um, but this got me thinking too, like, um, how important is it to allow kids to express all of their emotions? And when, as a parent, do you step in to say, maybe you don't express them that way, if that makes sense? It does. And I think that's getting a little bit more into kind of some of the stuff, the positive parenting that's becoming more popular over time. Um, And, you know, some of the messages that are going out there that's not real positive parenting. You know what I mean? Like there are kind of that toxic end of it. Like it's, it's funny to me when I realize it's kind of like Atkins, like the Atkins diet, right? Like (laughs) there was a good diet that a doctor sat down and figured out. Right. And then all these memes got shared um, that weren't actually really fully explaining what you eat and don't eat. So people went, oh, you don't eat carbs ever. And then a bunch of people got sick. Like mm-hmm. kind of the same interesting thing is happening with the concept of positive parenting, where I guess there's like this idea that positive parenting is about always allowing your child to express the fullness of their emotions and just never seeming to hold them to an expectation to manage those emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think you're actually getting into a very enabling relationship at that point. Um, now that being said, if my, I mean, my stepkids losing their cool around me, I'm okay. If they need to leave the room, I don't demand that they need to stay in the room with me and fix it right now, because come on, what is that teaching? Does that work in, in adult relationships ever? No, you stay in the room until we solve this. Fuck no. So what skill are you even teaching by forcing a child to stay in the room with you? you know, to either finish a conversation or at this point to rectify it. I think Sue actually did something that you might not have seen as often back then Mm -hmm. of just like the separation and go to your room. Whereas a lot of families get that very toxic. Nope. You are a child and you need to agree with whatever the parents said. So in a way, I think they were kind of ahead of their time almost in that moment. But I mean, that's not to say that that never existed, right? Because that would kind of be a little too hyperbole to be fact, like the ideas of gentle parenting and positive parenting, like did come from some parents doing those things. There's a reason we have these concepts, but I did think it was an, oh yeah, but I did think it was an interesting moment um, that, you know, she did let him, she didn't punish him. She just said, go to your room. Mm-hmm. that's go to your room isn't punishment that's space that's i need to go for a walk but you know it's a kid so don't send them in the neighborhood when they're mad <laughs> right and yeah i mean I, I know with my kids um you know there were times where i did my best to allow them to express themselves but also as a parent there were times where i got annoyed and it was just like no you must do it my way so i you know i've been on both sides that you know the I've done good as a parent in that direction. I've done bad in a parent as, as that direction. Yeah. And and ultimately, like, I think kids should definitely have the freedom to express themselves 
unless we're talking like like destructive expressing you know like if they're throwing stuff or if they're throwing a tantrum in a grocery store or something like that that's not appropriate you know you know just because you can express an emotion in a particular way doesn't mean that particular way is right and i think it's ultimately the job of the parents to kind of teach them along the way you know like it's okay to do this but when you do this maybe not so much Right. And some of that needs to come from examples, too, which is something that positive parenting is trying to put out there is almost that kind of shadow integration theory mm-hmm. with your parenting. And that if you lose your shit on your kid, first of all, you need to be open to acknowledging that you have done that like to yourself. Like You need to acknowledge that maybe that was an incorrect step that you took mm-hmm. so that then maybe you can have a conversation with your kid and show them what it can look like when someone realizes maybe they were the one that overreacted and how that can look because it goes back to, and like you said, with evolution, this, uh, the way kids are wired are very evolutionary. They look to the generation prior to them and the practices and things they did to survive. They're going to want to replicate that. And then naturally, as their brain gets older and processes it, they're going to want to improve it. And that's really kind of that interesting cycle we have across generations. <laughs> so uh, if that they're going to replicate the examples they see. So that was the one interesting thing, though, is the, the problem is, is there was never like an example of a good turnaround. And that'll go into probably some of the the other themes that we're going to hit on, like when they're in the car and the totally kind of unhealthy way Frank deals with it. But again, is a very common thing that, you know, parents tend to do sometimes. Indeed, indeed. Now let's move on to the next topic here. And that is how parents can say harmful things without taking the time to think about it. And I'm what I'm referencing is when uh, Frank called Kevin a disappointment. Um, and this is only the second episode in, but I think, you know, anybody that's watched stories over any amount of time would know that when Frank called his kid a disappointment, he didn't mean it. But it was still something that came out of his mouth. And I think parents, and I've been guilty of it, have been, you know, over time are guilty of, you know, like calling your kid a dumbass or something like that, or or sometimes even worse. And like that can affect self-esteem, you know, and that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. And I think this is, you know, another thing that we talked about in prior episodes of Friends Talking Nerdy, where I feel like there were certain shows that came into our life, those early programming that normalized the fun and dysfunctional, like the Bundys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, but marriage is, uh, mar- what's it called? Married with children. Married with children. My goodness. I, I almost had it. I, I figured if I just start saying words that the, the title of the thing would come out. But no, marriage with children. (laughs) So there was married with children that did that, right? Like they, they totally had the fun and dysfunctional thing. And then there was even like the 70s show. I mean, look at Red. He called his own son a dumbass constantly. Like we have decided to find humor in this. But the problem is, is the way with brain development with children is that we are finding that this is not good. Um, There's actually like ages that you should avoid sarcasm if you can, because it can be very confusing for their minds. Like, and again, it's, I'm not saying like you're a bad parent. You've accidentally abused your child's brain if you've ever been sarcastic, but 
like you need to be aware, especially when you're having difficult conversations or tense conversations with a kid, not to lay on sarcasm as a defense mechanism if you're having a hard conversation, because that can be very difficult for them to interpret when you're having a difficult conversation. So that's what I mean. Like there, there's no supposed expectation of perfection here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the sarcasm and stuff like that. But yeah, that fun and dysfunctional thing just really seemed to kind of cause something to almost give parents permission to act this way because it does seem more common now. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big eye-opening thing is it this does seem more common than it used to be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean I, again I think the only thing you can do because it is human nature. I mean like you, we even do it with our friends calling our friends dumbasses and stuff like that. And I I think the important thing is, you know, especially as a parent and I have done that is to be able to have the courage to go to your kids and say when I did this I was wrong. You exactly. Know. I, I know I had a moment with my my uh, stepson mm-hmm. when I came down and I was shocked. Right. Because let's be fair. You're allowed to react when you're shocked. Right. Mm-hmm. I will never forget. I came down the stairs and he was so proud because he had taken the dry erase markers and was drawing something on the wall. And I still remember I was like, oh, you need to go to your room. And that's like pretty much exactly how I said it. But as a child, like he did not know how to take that. Uh He was sent away and he didn't understand why. And like, as an adult, even though to me, it made sense why I sent him away, I still owed him an explanation as to why I sent him away. Like, and there's a lot of people that I feel miss that, right. Uh That your kid actually didn't know that writing on the wall was bad. So if you're going to send them away for something because you need a second to either fix it, clean it, breathe so that you don't yell, you still do owe them an explanation because otherwise you're not just teaching them anything other than fear when you tell them to go. Yeah. Also fear over wondering what to, what am I going to do today? That's going to piss the parental figure off instead of understanding that, you know, certain actions will get certain repercussions. Exactly. Or the other thing is you're not teaching fundamental troubleshooting to them that can help them figure out how not to make similar mistakes. Right. Because otherwise they feel like they're just memorizing a never ending list of rules. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's move on to the next topic here. And this was one that uh, was another one of those um, things that I've noticed in the show uh, referencing uh, the differences in time. And that's when Frank was telling Kevin to go to his room to watch his TV. But, oh, they only have the one TV. I mean, kids today will, I mean, unless their parents go in and take their computer, their phone, their tablet, all that stuff. I mean, they, they don't realize just how different the entertainment landscape was in the 80s and in the early parts of the 90s. Oh, exactly. Like we very much had that because I go back to I remember having a black and white TV. So for a while, there was one TV in our house. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do remember finally getting color sets. We went on Black Friday to get them so that we could (laughs) afford them. But then the thing that you put your elbows up over next was the internet and the computer because then that was the thing that you didn't have in your room and if your mother wanted to go on for her AOL internet dating hour you got the fuck off the computer because it was her computer and if you wanted one you'd save up for one so yeah yeah, that that little situation like hit me and I'm sure there's still that makes me wonder anyway 
that there's probably still some equivalent to that that I'm just unaware of. Um, and maybe it is still computers. I, I know a lot of people have multiple screens in their homes, so it's not as much of a thing. But there does seem to be at least that attitude of uh, it's mine because my money and you have none as a child. Like a little bit of that playful lording over that can also just kind of make kids feel a little like powerless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I'm glad we have, you know, these bits of technology. I mean, you know, living in the eighties with cassettes and taping songs off the radio because I didn't have enough cash to go to the, go to the record store to buy a cassette. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I'm glad, you know, we have all of, like, I, I can be in the bathroom for God's sake and watch a movie. <laughs> you know, that is amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I loved, I, I loved this nod to what it was like in the seventies. Once again, because it, it, it was very realistic in how, how they did it, but oh, yeah, I think they did a good job with it. Indeed. Let's move on to the next uh, topic here. And this is a, a part of Laura. Uh, what is it? Sue's story. How tough it can what did I called her Laura because the actor, the actress who plays Sue is named Laura. Okay. It's Sue. Oh. <laughs> it's, yeah. Anyway, I'm like, what? All right. How tough it can be to get people to take your hobbies seriously. Uh, in the episode, she's selling plastiware and she is, you know, you could tell she's trying to pump herself up, you know, trying to treat it seriously. And then Frank, it's you know talking about you know treat her hobby well kids don't be bad for your mother while she's doing her hobby kids and and you know it made me think a little bit about you know like what we do here with the podcast you know in in, in a lot of ways because like she you know for what we do you you know you we want to have that that confidence knowing that you know what you're doing is good and, and whatnot like like we both have a lot of passion for for what we do here in this podcast of course but you know we also realize that we're in a spot similar to like a, like a musician in a garage band i guess you know we are one of millions of people that are out there putting out content in the hopes of making it you know where it, 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 but to me it it's just like it's it can be tough to maintain that confidence when you do have people that, you know, Ooh, wonderful hobby, because I've had people call the podcast a hobby and it's like, fuck you. It's not a hobby. <laughs> well, it's so funny because, you know, I, I think I did mention on the, one of the shows recently that I was a mature adult and got my taxes out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so it's super funny that you brought this up because she did that to me. And granted, it was for tax purposes, right? The, the reason she was laying it on thick, she goes, okay, so we're going to say you made X number of dollars with your little hobby. And there was like something about that that just like, I am a fucking casting director. It is not a little hobby. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I, right? And even though like, honestly, like, and even the podcast to a point, I, I understand, right? Like it does not mm -hmm. quite have, at least not for me, because you do so much of it. Like, again, <laughs> I will totally like give Tim a lot of the credit. I know he likes to, you know, give me like co-creation credit, but Tim does so much <laughs> of the actual running of this. So for me, it's like calling this a hobby probably wouldn't get to me as much because I don't put as much of the sweat equity into it. But man, you call my casting direction a hobby. 
And I get a little bit ruffled. Like it surprised me because I do consider myself a kind of emotionally intelligent person. But I did think it was funny that 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 got me. And the other side now, and taking into consideration, this is also kind of setting the scene, right? Because in the 70s, if your wife worked as a man, you weren't the breadwinner of your house. And you really do kind of get a little bit of that from Frank starting in this episode. Um, That's what he's starting to defend, right? Because if she's making income, which she's not, and that's probably one of those technicalities that like gets him right now. Um, It was not in this episode that it's clarified. I think it's in the next one or possibly one after, but Maureen ends up going with her and you know, she the says, one, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So yeah, she, she asks mommy if she makes any money off of it because the <laughs> whole, is it a hobby or is it a job conversation is happening with a child who's also trying to figure out the world and how it works. Like, is it a hobby or is it a job? And so you make money. <laughs> She's just like, no, I get pasta wear. So <laughs> it, it's part of that technicality for Frank, because at this point and in this day, he needs to be that breadwinner. Cause a lot of what you're going to see in the journey of this show is some of that changing in their family. I do think it's cool that plasterware is one of these things that takes a storyline that keeps going and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, having a a hobby, it reminds me more of like when I was a kid, I think Mary Kay was kind of that thing, right? That was the thing that the moms did that if they weren't working, that was their thing they did. Granted, yeah now wow i just now realized that they still didn't call it a job they just called it a thing they did like back when i was a kid because it wasn't a job it was just this thing they did except they did actually get money for it and then they normally got i think mary Kay products or i guess you could get a pink car at some point (laughs) yeah and so spoiler alert later in the series you do find out there's a green car you can get so they are kind of going for the tupperware slash mary Kay feeling with this so very much taking those like jobs that are like that. And even I kind of throw those in quotes because those are kind of some of those original gig jobs in in a sense. Like I almost would uh, more equate it to doing like Postmates or like how I do literally or something like that. Um, because I think some of the, uh, the more pyramid shape-ish stuff is going away. So I think that's more of what we're moving to, but it just feels like we had a long time where there was like, you know, you, you sell a product and then you get somebody to sell it under you. And then you get that person to sell stuff under you if you can, and you have to have house parties to sell things. And then that's also how you get other people to sell things. Yeah. I mean, well, John Oliver actually a couple of years back had uh, an episode of last week tonight about that. I mean, they're, they're still very much uh, a thing uh, in terms, I mean, they they try their best not to call it pyramid schemes, but it's still a pyramid scheme. (laughs) Right. I guess I was just saying like, it seems less now. Like I I felt like everybody was selling fucking something there for a while, like in like two thousands through possibly maybe the early, uh, like the later 2010s, like Everybody had their thing that they were selling. So it just really seemed to really take off there for a while. And now it's more like, oh, well, I also do literally, or I also do, you yeah. know, uh, uh, whatever the other driving services are, like Uber Eats and stuff like that. Like, I think people are more likely to do that these days than something like the Tupperware salesman. Or or Amway. Amway started uh, back in my hometown of all places. So definitely have uh, some experience with that. But I, I think... 
I, you know, are there people that obviously th- that still get involved with organizations like that? Of course, they're still going to be around. But I, to oh, your point, yeah, my, my adopted mom like had a Tupperware party, like not pampered <laughs> chef. There we go. That's the the one that's still kind of I hear every now and then just mm-hmm. not as often as I used to. I felt like there used to always be one on the cork board at the office, like every month that somebody was having some kind of Tupperware or essential oils or whatever it was thing they were selling. Well, I think the internet probably has done away with the need of having those in-person parties or whatever. I mean, granted, it's pro- they probably just have like their own online store. You know? Oh, that, yeah, because yeah. I've got friends that sell sex toys that way, too. So, mm. yeah, I guess they've it's been kind of they're still around. OK, Indeed. Indeed. we just sell kinky things and essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move on to the next one here. And I think this will be a fun topic here because I think we're both going to have some different perspectives based um, based on it. And it's how putting one sibling in charge of another sibling hardly ever works out. And that's a Bill and Maureen story. Um, I think I mentioned it on Friends Talking Nerdy before, but um, I remember the time my mother put me in charge of my sister once and my sister decided, you know, one time she was going to be a cat. I don't know why, but she decided she was a cat and she was going to get on the couch and crawl on top of the back of the couch. Now, where the couch was, like right behind the couch was this big window. And so, like, I started freaking out, like, you need to get down from there. And I'm pulling her off and pulling her off. And then she kicks me square in the chest. But doing that causes her to kind of move and stumble. And her knee goes through the front window. And so, like, what? luckily, the, the like the, her knee was like we had a curtain so like it go, went through she was not cut there was no injury whatsoever but we had a broken window that my mother needed to be told about so i got my sister to call my mother and my my sister told her everything on the phone and then within a couple of minutes because my, my mother only worked a couple blocks away you could hear a car speeding and then it sounded like she did like a deuce of hazard turn into our driveway. And then you heard the car door slam. And then my sister just bolts upstairs, hides in the closet. And I knew that if I went upstairs to like get her, it would be much worse than it would be if I sat there taking the brunt of my mother yelling. So that was one experience I had. Woof. Yeah, that's a bad one. See, we knew not to damage anything because my mother valued the belongings more than our physical body. So we just mostly beat up on each other because, you know, that stuff heals um, TVs you have to replace. (laughs) But uh, yeah, like we were very latchkey kids, though. And I think it's because my brother and I are so close in age, like we were only a grade apart. Yeah. So it just almost didn't seem like he was ever in charge of me. We were mostly just expected to keep it like. Hmm. Not keep an eye out on each other, but more watch each other for opportunities to rat the other one out if they did something too wrong to the parent when they got home. And that resulted in a lot of like we got into a lot of fights uh, being kind of latchkey kids and not getting along super well. And um, so that was really what happened. Oh, yeah. Lots of physical fights. And I won't tell the story on here. Because I've told it, actually, my brother and I have both told it to friends, (laughs) and they give us all the same horrified looks. So we have since learned that these are not cute stories to tell. But I will say that one time there was a fight that was really bad. And even though my brother was the one that technically put me in the position to need to hurt him to make the thing stop, I'm the (laughs) one that got grounded because I left a bruise. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, well, to go with the Windows story, I mean, I'm the one that got grounded for a month, even though I did absolutely nothing uh, with that. But that, I, you see, know. don't you love it? Like, we didn't do anything wrong, and we're the ones that. I mean, I was defending myself, but uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I guess too, like, because I can, I, I can also go, like think, I can also hear my sister being like, "Mom never put you in charge of me." I mean, we were close enough in age. I think, if anything, because I was the older one, um, it was a situation where if something did go wrong, I, I would get the brunt of it, regardless. But you know, it was the same situation in in terms of, uh, yeah, she was only like a grade lower than me and just off by age by like a year. So you know, in terms of like what you think of with a traditional big brother little sister thing it wasn't quite like that because in a way we were pretty much mutuals if that makes sense oh yeah i didn't really have a lot like i think there was a very brief window where i remember my brother being like very protective big brothery <laughs> but you know that that grew out quick when we were in charge of raising each other at home later <laughs> we just mostly got yeah. frustrated with each other and yelled at each other we did not know positive parenting concepts so that we could positively parent each other. So we just did our best with yeah. our emotions and rage and really hard kicks. Yeah, they don't teach them at age uh, 10 or anything like that. But uh, let's move on to the next one here. And that's, uh, I got a kick out of this story. And that's how parents will sometimes scare their kids in order to get them to act right. And um, what I'm referring to here is the part of the episode where uh, Frank is convincing Kevin that he's going to have him shipped off to Vietnam. <laughs> oh my god, that whole scene is awesome and dark. So dark. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm granted, it is super hyperbole. Um, I don't know how common that was. I wasn't raised in the 70s. I do know that statistically speaking, you did have a lot more like combat veterans that were raising kids. So I can kind of see like we're back in those times, like back in the day, thinking that that was an okay thing to do. Especially because, you know, Frank knew the whole time he wasn't serious and they didn't really regard back then like that a child can take you very seriously and that can matter very much in those moments. Right. Um, but, yeah, the whole lying to a kid to get them to do what you want them to do. And then it drives me crazy because I feel like parents still do this. Um my favorite, uh, God, I almost did a comedy bit about it, was talking about like, you will never hear a parent so soothingly lie to their child like you will one earlobe in on a seat at a Claire's ear piercing station. Because I was working Portland Santa and there was a little kid whose Bob took a bit to get their ear pierced and then all of the lies came out. Because, you know, you don't want your kid to have one ear pierced. And so I'm just like listening to this mother, like try desperately to lie to her kid and convince them, you know, the other one won't hurt. That was just a fluke <laughs> and stuff like that. And granted, that's, I think, a little bit more cute of an example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it is still an example of the same behavior. You're lying to your kid to get them to do something. And we still kind of seem to encourage it. It's something that I question, though, because we wonder why kids develop this attitude that it's okay to lie to us when you honestly don't think they put it together that you lied to them. Like, so I don't know. I largely just think like, especially when you're scratching your head asking like, why would they lie about this? Have you ever asked yourself if they've ever asked that about something you lied to them about? 
right. because they may have learned that. And these are the innocent ways that, you know, I love having conversations with parents sometimes. Like if I develop that relationship with them, that they respect, you know, what I have to say on stuff like that mm-hmm. is that there's actually like a lot of really great application uh, to shadow work and shadow integration, which is something I nerd out about on my personal page a lot. So it comes up of, yeah, like maybe it wasn't a good idea. Like back then, definitely this end of it, right? Like convincing a child that they're going to go off to war. And like, he got really dark with some of the descriptions, which really detailed. Yeah. Yeah. I had actually made a note in quotable quotes (laughs) that I didn't want to go back. Okay. So I actually wrote, I'm not going to quote it because I guess even some things are too dark for me to go back and get verbatim. But Frank, talking about how to deal with it in war like when the child runs from your position (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my god so um so if you don't like war humor especially the dark end of that humor you will not like that joke um but yeah like probably definitely over the line i don't think anybody's continuing that that level of it today to such normalcy but i do think we have a regular practice of lying to our kids and i do personally believe that that's some of what undercuts that relationship as they get older uh, yeah i mean and that that is human nature i mean it's like I, I i don't think it's realistic to expect a person to never lie i guess because that you know we are humans and whatnot i i me as a parent, the only time I, 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 I can think of that that comes to mind, and I think I may have mentioned it on the show, was the time like uh, my kids were in trouble and I wanted them to tell the truth. And we, we, you know, we knew they did it, but they didn't say anything about it. So we got so desperate that I came up with the brilliant idea of telling them that we had videotaped proof that they did it. How did and, that pan out? Oh, I got lucky because they're like, okay, oh. fine. It was just like, if, if, but it was against my daughter too. And my daughter was a great liar, um, you know, and um, like, if she had challenged me, it, it would have been like, oh God, all hell would have broken. You would have been done. That. Oh my God. Yeah. How tight, how tiny was your butthole? Like <laughs> in those moments, probably really small, right? Because then your child owns you. And what's funny though, is we do have that weird attitude. Like in parenting, I make the joke, but we do. It's like, there's this kind of weird belief that you either need to show dominance and that you own your child or you are somehow allowing them to own you. And even though like I made a joke about it, I'm still recognizing how we just kind of feel this way about it, that it has Mm -hmm. to be that power dynamic that somebody is like trying to always take each other over. But yeah, um, I was lied to a lot as a kid, just in general, like, and here's a funny one that I'm still bitter about to this day. And it was a, a, the bus driver, the bus driver lied. And it took me forever to figure out that she had done it because she had found a candy wrapper on the bus. And we were very much not allowed to eat candy on the bus. I knew it was fucking me. I knew I was the one that was busted. I did it. I opened it. I ate it, it was the day before. And it was delicious because it was forbidden almond joys. And I'm like one of the only kids that likes almond joys. So I'm pretty sure they would have figured it out anyway. <laughs> but so the next day on the bus, she does that whole like stern teacher there's like now somebody has a confession they need to make because i've got video showing that somebody ate a candy bar on this bus now y'all ain't supposed to be eating candy bars on this bus so i'm gonna leave it right here and whoever did it can come up and sit in the bad seat because <laughs> that's what they called it. it was the bad seat of the bus and I begrudgingly, I, I, I went up there because I knew it was me because it was an Almond Joy. Like nobody eats fucking Almond Joys. Eventually somebody went, hey, it was that chick. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so I went up there and then it took me like probably a solid decade for me to put together like there's no fucking camera on that bus. Like it was a bus like in like fifth grade for me. You know? <laughs> there was no camera. So uh, it's like it's little things like that. I don't know. Maybe I will say, you know, I'm I'm a step parent for those that are, you know, maybe new to this and aren't familiar with me from, you know, the other show. Mm-hmm. So I do kind of have a different relationship with with the kiddos. And I've also worked with kids. I've maybe just held on to that being lied to thing in a way where it's just I don't want it. Uh, but I did. I've had that conversation with my stepkids where we just call it you don't have to lie to kick it. And we just remind them. And I've had a one-on-one with each of them at this point. You know, one came later as they were older and bright ages and stuff. But, I, you right. know, I just kind of, we have a promise between us. And the promise between us is, is if they always try to find a way to be honest with me, even if they had lied to me at some point, I will do my best to be okay with it. Like, not that it will be okay, like that there's not going to be something we have to work out, but I will do my best if you're coming to me out of honesty to make something right to work with you on making it right. And that's pretty much where I'm at with my my stepkids. I know that comes from I am a step parent and some people feel that you can't replicate those same types of things. I struggle to agree with that, but I'm not going to tell people what to believe. Um, but I'm I a, think you can kind of try to work on an honest relationship and encouraging that. Even owning when you fibbed, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yep. All right. We will move on to the next topic here. Uh, and it regards Frank and his work. Um, and that's how employers will try to preach to you about how they're always poor, but they do this to screw the workers. This is a tale as old as time. Um, I know when I worked at Best Buy, they, uh, you know, during store meetings would have management get up there and, and lecture you about how unions are bad, about how they'll just take your money and then not do anything. And then they would always throw in some Jimmy Hoffa jokes to top it off, you know, but uh, yeah. What did you think about that? I mean, I thought, you know, so far as we've been introduced to it, you know, like even though Frank's boss is just a tad bit on the hyperbolic side, I I thought that I I thought the, the management versus employees thing was really well done. Yes, because that is something that I think is almost a tale as old as time, right? Like you're going to have that level of the the PR relationship to get what you want out of your employees. There's a lot of places that still practice this. You know what I mean? Like I hated that so much, especially like when I got into office work and I noticed there was like a lot of keeping stuff from you that seemed unnecessary. Uh Um, And that was something I found honestly refreshing about tech industry was, you know, you just have meetings and they'll have some, the fucking CFO get up there and say, you know, we've collected and it's been great and we're meeting all of our goals and yay money. And, you know, they actually let you know what's going on in a company for real. Like, it's it's just a lot clearer uh, these days. And tech industry, I think, is one of those uh, places that's kind of driving that to a little bit more normalcy. Like, I feel like you see it more now uh, than, like, when I first remember working retail. Yeah. Like, there's even some retail stores that have picked up some of these practices of the huddles which is, you know, the team huddle. Yeah, um, I know, but there is there is a little bit of benefit to that guffaw as it may be. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it, so yeah, I, I like kind of that clearness, but 
very accurate. And I remember because I kind of felt that transition of now there's a little bit more of an expectation to be clear with your employees um, than try to lie to them because, you know, people love it when you lie to them to get what you want instead of having honest conversations and, you know, tend to react in very giving and understandable ways when you choose to lie instead of have an honest conversation. So yeah, it's just kind of funny. And this is a theme. This is actually something that's going to play out through this whole season, Mm -hmm. uh, this whole thing with the work and this background conversation, because what you find out like at the end of the last episode is that Frank's boss has died. So Frank has actually just very abruptly been promoted. Um, he got ahead in the job. Uh, oh. I know that, that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the whole video of the head being cut off too. Yeah. Like that was crazy. <laughs> head and shoulders. Now it's there. Oh, where'd it go? Like they're playing it on fast forward and reverse for those that either haven't seen it or like looking for that little bit of what what are we talking about? I'm sorry, I, I made a random uh, reference to the head being chopped off and the two guys like showing Kevin. The security video, was, yeah. like, yeah, the security mm. video of the guy being beheaded and mm. Kevin, a child, just like kind of mortified, except like understandably mortified by seeing this, right? Like yeah. if you're thinking about this, this is a kid whose father just like terrified him with the idea of sending him to war. <laughs> and now he's like, watch this guy get beheaded. But anyway, so Frank gets promoted. So now Bob Pogo is putting him in that position that he's got to figure out his version of what Bob Pogo just said to Frank. Cause right. Mm-hmm. Like you're picking up that that shit is slowing downhill. Yeah. Bob Pogo isn't being honest either. He's just letting it flow down the river and Frank needs to find his version. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that tension that plays out. And anybody that's been in a lead position, I know I have been, it can be really hard when you know that you've got to enforce stuff that you don't necessarily agree with or align with. Um, for me, it wasn't necessarily like to this level, but I was a team lead and I had to write up people for the ever dreaded occurrence system, which is another thing I think is kind of starting to be like. Uh, phased out of a lot of places like uh, they were ridiculous if you were seven minutes late it counted as an occurrence if you got three occurrences like it was like a write-up you know and then eventually you get fired like just for being late and like as we all know a lot of that's not even under our control so i absolutely hated that and you can kind of tell that frank doesn't like it like uh, these are his guys like he's friends with them and gets along very well with them and they did a good job in this episode kind of showing how awkward that can be you know especially when you are on a good level because he was like a manager type level like he was still over them in quotes like before an assistant manager compared to the manager you know right so now he's taken like another step up and he's having to adjust those relationships assuming again because at some point, you know, you do learn that Bob Pogo helps them get a job at the airline. So at some point, like they started there together a while back ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have each had to take their progressions up. And Rosie's been there for, what do you say, eight, 18 years? He said, Something like oh, that, yeah. yeah, when you work 51 weeks a year for 18 years, time really flies or something <laughs> like that. It may have been more than 18, but it was something that he had said when he realized how much older Kevin had gotten. You know, because you're putting together that these guys have been in Frank's life for a long time, which is part of something I really loved about this episode was I did mention it's kind of the continuation of the introduction of characters. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a lot of that, too. And you're getting the 
maybe this is why when Frank comes home, don't ruin one of the few joys of his life that is dinner, because it does seem like his job is stressful and kind of shitty in its own respects. Um, so yeah, I think that it's, uh, I thought it was nice, uh, really cool. The theme that they go into with that and kind of displaying how that was. And in a way it shows how much we have changed because I do kind of feel like this is not as common as it used to be, even like when I worked retail, which I've been out of retail for a while now. Well, but, um, it's, well, I mean, I would say it's not as common because not as many, there aren't as many unions anymore. I mean, 10% of the country is unionized and that is an absolute shame. I think the workers have definitely been losing for many, many, many years. And, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, just keeping an eye on the news lately, it sounds like we're at a point to where workers are finally getting tired of it, you know, which is why we're seeing some of these changes here. But, you know, it's like, one thing that that cons- that I thought they did well in showing it too is that they did kind of. Um, I've always found it bizarre that workers will fall on the sword for their employers when their employers are the ones screwing them. Or at the end of the day, when it comes to like labor, labor disputes, like baseball's at it again uh, with another labor that like they, they, there's a stoppage going on and, and apparently, you know, opening day may be affected because of this, because of labor. But of course, in the past, when there was labor stoppage in sports, you would have these billionaire sports owners going on TV, like we're not making much money and these players want their million dollar contracts while they're, you know, having these stadiums built on, you know, state funds. They're not putting one dime into it and they're getting all these tax incentives. You know, why do people continuously want to celebrate the foot that is stepping on their neck? And then I did want to throw it out there just because it is an interesting argument in the discussion of unions as far as there being less of them might not necessarily be a bad thing because there have been certain laws passed that protect a lot more rights for workers now. Um, I, I still kind of am more on the side of a union. I think it is a good thing for like your employees to have a voice. But I did find that a very respectable point to unions is that, yes, we do have a lot more like rights for workers than we did even in the seventies. So hell, even from the nineties, I would say there's probably been some leaps and that's where I keep prefacing. Like I haven't worked retail in a while. So a lot of my perspective is coming from watching it really evolve in offices, but maybe not in retail because I haven't worked in retail. Uh, Um, But yeah, as far as offices go, and that could be because I went tech industry and they've been really proud about spearheading a healthier work environment and balance. But um you know, it's just kind of interesting to see how it's even changed over my careers of changing from different offices. And with retail, you're not really getting that because I mean, they, they are most retail companies view their employees as expendable anyway. You know, they already factor in that there's going to be high turnover rates, so they don't really care. You know? Yeah. And I guess you can feel that too in like an office because there was definitely a high turnover rate at the office with the occurrence system, mm-hmm. but there was not a high turnover rate at places that I worked at that didn't have systems like that. So like when I worked in an office with two people and it was me and one other person, um, we didn't have occurrences. If I was running late, I would just shoot the office manager a text and just let her know I got stuck in <laughs> traffic 
probably it was Lubbock, Texas, so probably Ducks Crossing or some shit like that. Um, but that happens like a lot there because there's like a bunch of little lakes or whatever. There's like this big duck pond. Um, but yeah, just imagine like, breaking news on the local news like we got you know skycopters over this duck convoy. They just have an attitude of all right, don't mow over the ducks, like let them yeah. be. But yeah, so I mean, but that's also where I've been a big advocate of like yes, vote with your body and find jobs that have um, policies that you actually agree with, not ones that you can do, right? Yeah. Because you can bend over backwards and never be late to your retail job. Or you can maybe see about brushing up on some administrative skills, get an intro level office job that might be a little bit more likely to offer things like that flexibility and things. And, and that's what's interesting is we have a worker shortage right now. And I think it's a large part because people are fucking tired of working eight hours a day and not being able to make rent. And their number one piece of advice they're given is get a gig. And so what's funny is uh, the Mr. Reverend was actually telling me that the newer generation is less likely to stay in a job where they're treated this way, which is also probably contributing to this worker shortage because that's the generation right now that should be the high turnover at these these jobs, Mm. right? Yeah. Well, because half of them are doing two or three side gigs, they're not putting up with it as much as prior generations did because when you can just go and like do some Uber eats and shit, like while you're looking for a different one, you're just not as likely to stay. And I think that's really an interesting point to contribute to all of it. But anyway, so all that, like, yeah, there's like worker disruption. Um, It looks different back then, but it's still really relatable. Uh, Yeah. I mean, cause workers at the end of the day do need to recognize the power of their collective voice. I mean, to your point, yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking about a small business with like five people all working into it, then now you don't need a union, just talk and whatnot. But, you know, the bigger the company is, I think the more the workers do need to recognize that if they don't defend their, their, their power, they're going to lose it, you know? And right. Yeah. And, and like, like with anything too, like, you know, there needs to be compromises, you know, workers, you know, you know, need to recognize that when they go to the bargaining table, but yeah, just we, we, as a country, workers need to recognize their power. They just, they just need to, because we've been told for the longest time that we don't have it, but evidence shows we do. And these guys are going to show that they have power this season. So this is a really cool um, storyline that we're going to get to see play out. Really just Rosie in general, like through this, the the journey he takes through the whole series, I think is great. And I just love that he got to be here from the beginning. Because in a weird way, I almost think of the second episode as a part two of episode one, because they're still very much introducing the world and characters. Indeed, indeed. Now let's move on here to the last topic. Um, this is a Frank and Kevin story again, and that's how you can be proud of your kid for acting like an adult. Um, the situation in the show was uh, a lady was yelling at uh, Frank um, about some missing pills. Kevin uh, knew what, what you know that some people that worked at the at the place took them, but he grabbed the pills and gave it to the lady and just acted like she's the one that that dropped it. But then he ultimately ended up yelling at the lady when Frank could not. What do you think about that? I thought it was neat. Um, it goes to show like sometimes 
when a kid gets a glimpse into your life, there actually can be some understanding, right? Because mm-hmm. now that's not what Frank took him there to learn. And it was really funny. And they may- managed to make that very clear and comedic on the drive home, right? Because Frank was taking him to show how responsible he is and how difficult his job is, like what he does, because it's important, it's serious. Mm-hmm. And instead, Kevin goes there, sees it under this whole other light of like, man, dad's job is shitty. This is a shit job. He gets treated like shit by old ladies. And he's got these disrespectful, shitty baggage handlers because he was kind of done with them, right? Like whenever he went back in there to get the pills, he was even kind of seeing the point of get back to work. So he related to his dad almost in the sense of like, well, hell, he's got a parent here too, almost in a way. Like maybe not to that level of relating, but at least he seemed to break down a little bit that it sucks to be frank at work and maybe that's why he's such a dull hole at home and so i did think it was really funny though it's like that lady was treating you like dog shit like the way he was going on about it and the drug shitting in your <laughs> mouth like <laughs> you were like eating the shit and uh yeah so it's funny because it taught the the desired lesson that Frank wanted, which was to work hard to have a good job. Mm-hmm. But Frank wanted it to be to have a good job like I have. And Kevin took it as I don't want a shitty job like you have. So it was an interesting way just all around how that scenario <laughs> played out because kind of got the lesson across that he intended, but with a little bit of a backhanded compliment way feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, what I loved though, was when Kevin was yelling at the young lady, I loved how Frank looked at his son, you know, it, it, oh, was, yeah. it reminded me of something my youngest Luke did. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on friends talking nerdy before, but uh, the situation was like, I'd started out the day with my ex-wife yelling at me. Yeah. Rare. I know, but I uh, went to work, came back home and then my son you know, grabbed my hand, grabbed his mother's hand. And she told her that, you know, I, you know, based on, you know, what she did that morning that she should apologize. So she goes, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, from here, <laughs> he pat his chest. Oh. And it was just like, yes. <laughs> and then, but, but that also so cute. Yeah. It was cute, but like he was like maybe 10. I forgot specifically when it happened, but that was like such a mature thing to do. Just the courage to be able to go up to, um, you know, his mother and be and and to be able to have the courage to say, I think you need to say sorry. I mean, that was like good for you, kid. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, like to the original thing, I did think it was great that, you know, basically Kevin had this experience where he did ultimately build some compassion for his dad and he wound up standing up for him in a situation that he couldn't Mm -hmm. because that was the deal was Frank was powerless. He just had to kind of take it because especially that's what you did back in. I mean, I even go back to my earlier retail years and like, the two early 2000s um you just kind of took it that that customer is always right thing was kind of already in a sense still existing even though it's great that he didn't get that same respect right Right. like he may have gotten that if he had worked with the dad at the tv store in the prior episode but he's almost allowing this woman to have that customer is almost right experience that he was just denied (laughs) even though she's way wrong to be yelling at him for it um even though like in a weird way she was kind of right because it was his employee's uh, yeah, just overall, it was a very interesting situation to watch play out. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, she, no, she was right to express her anger at, you know, her personal medicine not being there. Right. I mean, but the but, way that she kept doing it, and that's when Kevin couldn't take it anymore and said, fuck you. It was the personal insult thing. Like, at the end of the day, unless that woman had 100% proof that there was malicious stuff going on, which, you know, there was, but it wasn't Frank's fault, you know. And unless, she got them back, right? And, like, yeah. on top of it, she was doubling down after having gotten them back, where it could have been maybe, okay, I understand now they just fell out or something, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, too many people, and I've been guilty of this before for with, like, Uber Eats drivers. Like, Uber Eats or, you know, Postman or something like why the fuck are they not here but you're not in their shoes you don't know what traffic situations like um that does not mean that there aren't ignorant postmates drivers there are but but you know at the end of the day most of them are you know if they're running late there's a reason yes and if you're ever mad at your postmates driver for not bringing you valentine's cookies uh from crumble it's not my fault you didn't put your apartment number (laughs) and they were delicious (laughs) that was actually like two years ago and then what's sad is i like literally walked around like trying to find this person it was a huge apartment complex like there was no way i was gonna find it It was like the big ones over by like millican station or something like that (laughs) just no apartment number but delicious i'm sorry that was all to say i was like i'm sure i was that dumb shit driver but the point was was they didn't even put the apartment number so like i'm sure i've been cursed like as a prior postmates driver but uh, but yeah, so I, I was really proud of Kevin for having that urge to stand up for his dad. But that that's also like where that weird little the other side of married with children's message and the other side of the 70s show and stuff like that, where they put the fun and dysfunctional is that at the end of the day, they do still have each other's backs. So it is interesting that that's still kind of playing out here. That yeah. At the end of the day, even though Kevin just said, I fucking hate you, like to him, yes, like, wait, last week, right? Because this yep. is like a week later, we think it's the next weekend. So we think that that's happened, like just a week ago. And now he's like standing up for him. So it is kind of clear to see that Kevin doesn't actually hate his dad in this episode, which I think makes everything that played out in the prior episode better because it just shows that it's a complexity to the relationship. Yeah. and and. That word hate, like, like, uh, you know, I've said on friends stalking nerdy, like I've had my kids upset at me and they've used that word about me. And I've used that word about my parents. It's a, it's as well, you know, when I, when I've not talked to them and it's, I don't hate them because they're family and whatnot. Like I can be angry at what they do. My kids could be angry at me for something I did, but like, hate is always a strong word because you say it, but you don't really mean it about a family member. Even if they piss you off, you know, it's like, even if they have a legitimate reason to piss you off, they are still your family, you know, unless we're talking about a situation to where like a family member came into your house, stole all your stuff and stole and sold it for crack. Okay. That's a different situation. But if we're just talking regular humans doing human stuff, you, you don't hate you can, you may be very angry and have a legitimate reason to do so, but it's not hate. Don't call it that. That's stupid. Yeah. There, there's hopefully not a lot of reasons to be hating people in your own family. To me, Indeed. it's just an interesting little spin that we have of what I just kind of call the toxic individualism that we're kind of having in America land. Uh-huh. Like we act like that. There is just always this point where kids were just like, and there you go. Like tortoises to the sea or some shit. 
But no, this whole idea of like not living in an intergenerational home is still relatively new. Um, so anyway, weird digression on yeah. times and change. Well, then let's speaking of digressions, let's move on to talk about some of our favorite lines from this episode. Now, compared to the first episode, I think we can both see uh, in our notes here that we have a lot more uh, lines going on. Yeah. So I think we'll try to be quick around these. Um, I mean, really, there's a lot of really good lines in this show. Mm -hmm. So I might have to be careful and limit like what I pick. And I do try to pick the ones that actually still make me really chuckle instead of ones that I just remember liking the first time. So having watched it so many times, the fact that a line still makes me chuckle just, I think goes to show how good of a job they did on the writing with this, but just subtle moments like between Kevin and Sue in the beginning where, you know, she's reaming him for failing almost every class and Kevin like mumbles something completely incoherent. <laughs> and so he says, what did you say? And he said, I said, I'm acing speech. <laughs> like there's just something about that joke that I just find funny every time because it's really clever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, uh, one I loved, uh, it was near that scene as well. Uh, it's <laughs> Kevin was sitting in, in uh, Frank's chair. Frank comes up and goes chair. Kevin goes, the dictator has spoken. And I've done that as a kid plenty of times. And then Frank's response, oh, don't start with me, you fucking disappointment. I had to hose a man's face off the tarmac today. <laughs> Just yes, I, funny. I appreciate Frank's darkness in this episode. Like he does. And that I think also goes into kind of pointing out how much he mentioned Korea. He obviously is a veteran and he's been in some times and, you know, so um, I I, I do think that bluntness also, like the way that he goes so dark in this episode, like also maybe lends to my suspicion that he has PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was one of those. Like, hosing a face <laughs> off a tarmac. Uh, you had a couple more here. Oh, I loved, uh, like, again, it's another Kevin moment because they make him just say really funny stuff sometimes, right? Kevin, mm-hmm. you have one job. Go to school and pass your classes. Kevin, that's two jobs. <laughs> like the, he gets them on semantics i love it and then yeah. we both had uh kevin saying well i hate school and frank well i hate my life but i keep doing it and just yes. how he delivered that line uh, again oh, every time yeah. every fucking time it slays me there's a line that he had here that i forgot to bring up earlier like he's talking about the the television show uh the cult luger show and like it's art, beautiful art and a guy on tv is like my skin is bubbling because he's on fire <laughs> <laughs> yes i also really love the part i'm um, right after you know the i fucking hate you dad and it's like frank said who the fuck puts a car in the garage and Sue says, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to be happy tonight. And Frank says, never assume that. <laughs> it was such an also just great timing to cut uh, to their intro song. Like that to me, for some reason, I mm-hmm. like it better because it cuts immediately to dun, 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 dun. <laughs> How do you not feel happy during that song? That is definitely a great song. Um, I loved this line where Sue's like, can you even remember the last time we just spent a whole Saturday in bed? Dad! Nope. <laughs> I've been there many times. 
Yeah. And you noted this one, um, Frank saying, be nice to your sister. Someday you'll be sleeping on her couch after your first divorce. I wonder and if I did really notice. Happened. Yeah. You had had a note about that. And yeah, a lot of this is based on Bill Burr's comedy. Bill Burr does have a sister. I do believe that that was, pro- I know he's been divorced like at least once, mm-hmm. maybe twice. Cause I, I can't remember if he actually married the person that he got a dog with. Cause I've, I've seen like some of his, uh, tours uh, uh his specials that end up and he got a dog at one point with somebody that he was dating but um yeah so i do think that that probably there i think there's going to be a lot of those little moments you notice that it feels personal yeah. because it probably is um and that was something i think he does talk somewhat openly about maybe i can look into it like and confirm that before we do the next one as far as how much of this is inspired by real life um but yeah kind of like with big mouth comedian nick kroll a lot of it was based off of his experiences so i do think a lot of this is based off of bill's experience as a kid and i know in his comedy he does kind of talk about his dad from time to time mm-hmm. so and that very much seems like frank murphy and i think that's why like it's even better that he's voicing frank murphy because he's voicing his dad and so you've got angry bill murphy voice <laughs> voicing <laughs> his father that he has like very much explained as being maybe too angry <laughs> yeah i oh, speaking of that i i love this line where he says to bill good because then i will come right home and i will put you through that fucking wall and then he turns to maureen have a great day princess (laughs) yes i love that because that was right after he had like made it sound like he was putting bill in charge and it was going to be a good thing you know and then he was like good you're in charge because if something happens to her i'll come right home and i'll push through that fucking wall like the way he said it was also just really great because it was almost like when people say terrible stuff but in a high-pitched voice like to their dog to get the dog's tail to wag yeah. like it, it frank reminded me of that in this moment and so it did kind of crack me up um <laughs> because we do kind of start to see where with bill getting older that relationship's going to change from kind of that you're my hero from the first episode so i thought it was interesting how quick they were to kind of show hints that even you know frank is starting to challenge that relationship not just bill indeed indeed what next line do you have oh let's see i think oh uh yeah it's when he's talking to kevin in the car and he's talking about sending him off to war and the really really dark shit that you know he was saying mm-hmm. but um at the very beginning uh, you know, Kevin's like protesting. He's like, good, good. That's great. Get all of that attitude out of your system now because your commanding officer's pro- commanding officer's probably not going to stand for it. And I just think that's great. Um, it, it, and that's a point that I do think like I understand when parents make it like mm-hmm. that, I think is the most honest. I think parents are with their kids. Like, dude, you got to learn how to curb your attitude because you're going to meet relationships in your life that aren't going to put up with that crap. And there's just something very beautiful about the way that he phrased that. And uh, yeah, I mean, in the same scene, I had this line uh, when he uh, said, when Frank said to Kevin, well, you're done with school and we might get a nice folded flag out of it. Just that whole conversation about sending him to Vietnam. And yeah, the dark, dark humor, because he was kind of like still in that, that kind of voice where he's pitching it. Like, this is the best idea ever. And you're going to love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. We talk about it. It's a new new program, completely legal. And uh, it's win-win. 
you know, <laughs> and the whole folded flag. And it's like, you kind of wonder if Kevin even got that reference because he's not that sharp sometimes. Like he is in ways he's, he's quippy, but he's not always like sharp on stuff like that. So I, I, say, I loved it either way. I mean, this is speculation. I would have to say though, based on how he reacted and based on how much they watch TV in that household mm-hmm. and knowing what I know about, you know, what news coverage was like about Vietnam in 73, I think it's very much possible he he understood. Oh, true. There was a lot more sitting around the TV. Like nowadays, it's like, you know, you might be in the TV with your parents, but you got your cell phone or your tablet. Indeed. Indeed. All right. And then uh, the only the last one, it was just a little moment with the 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 little boys with chiggers, Kenny, the younger, where he goes, I think I'm allergic to my pink pillow. <laughs> Because they're playing outside and what he has is that old pink insulation that I remember being warned about that, like in the 90s, that that was still like, don't play with that old insulation. It's fiberglass. fiberglass yeah. yeah. And so he lifts it up and he's made like this, <laughs> this padding out of this pink insulation and he picks it up and there's just his belly is super red. And what's funny is with the show, you almost need to watch some of the physical stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are little things that happen that are just silly like that, like uh, making the belly like all red and distended or something like there's there's other little bits that'll happen in the background, like in the animation. So and then later he pulls out the, like the one that's in his diaper that his is his cup. And it just makes you go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that reminds me of a little family guy gag to where they had um, the pink panther in a hospital dying and he was dying because he inhaled the the corning fiberglass uh, stuff because the pink panther was the mascot for like a fiberglass company, like the insulation company or something like that. And he ended up dying. So, yeah, I remember like I actually remember the pink panther like on some of those, like if you saw insulation, Mm -hmm. like and if a lot of times it had like the pink panther on it and i was like oh hey like as a kid you know you notice cartoons like hey cartoon there's cartoon inside the walls i want to buy that now yeah (laughs) (laughs) i want to hug it (laughs) yes well let's get to the good the and the bad what did you think was the good part of the episode what did you like so I love that they continued kind of really settling you into their home dynamic. We go back to, again, these are the first episodes. So there's a lot of stuff just being introduced to bring you into the world that you're going to be enjoying for multiple years with them. Um, I like the display of Sue as the peacekeeper. I think they did a really good job. Uh, the situation with Kevin's report card and the kids bickering. And then also that dynamic that you pointed out that the second dad got home, it's like, oh, shit, dad's home. And like everybody got quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is very much the home. He's the authoritarian and Sue is the peacekeeper right now. So that has been the expectation though. And what's cool is I think they did a great job once again of pulling you into this world of like, yeah, okay, this is how things have been. Things go bad with the kids. Sue intervenes or Sue tries to find the right time to tell him, you know, until Frank's had his dinner or as Kevin says, okay, I'll wait until he farts to give him bad news. Um, You know, so that's something that we're going to see change, Mm -hmm. but it very much gives you the sense that in a time, like up until today, absolutely that's been the normal um even so much as like sue being really miserable and not wanting to talk about it right because she cries into the salad bowl 
um, the Tupperware thing, which was kind of funny. I like that they managed to make that humorous because that is a really sad moment for her. The show is built for comedy. So I think they did a really good job portraying that she is in despair over kind of the situation with her life, but while still managing to make it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not because of the dog humping that, that part was, I think kind of stupid. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I really kind of appreciated, you know, that they found a way to flow into introducing you to Frank's the the end of Frank's world that is his work without it feeling really forced. I thought the storyline with Kevin was very natural. Mm-hmm. That they did a very good job. It didn't feel hokey or like very sitcommy of, oh, gotta bring my kid to work today. <laughs> you know, I think they did a good job making it make sense for the characters that they've already introduced. You know, it, it wasn't like outside of the possibility for Frank to want to bring his son to show him. And then, of course, Kevin wound up learning something not quite the way Frank wanted or the full message, you know, and how that like those those situations could work out. But so anyway, so all that worked out with taking you to work. And that's where you got to meet Rosie. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell he's a little disgruntled in his job. Um, you know, he gets kind of shit tips. You know, he gets tossed a quarter which is not good i would think in the 70s like wasn't around can't tell you inflation's a bitch but that don't it, he seems to react like this is not good i don't think he's being like unappreciative yeah then, i don't uh, i don't yeah. think you're going to be able to take your best gal out for a date and dinner on a quarter even in the 70s i don't yeah. think that's going to bump it up too much yeah. so yeah so you get a little bit of that from him and plus some of the passive aggressiveness and talking to frank um, um, because they're all aware that he got promoted and they were aware that he had a, a, you know, a meeting with Bob Pogo and you see Frank kind of awkwardly tried to dodge that in the best way that he can, because he doesn't want to have to lie to his friends. He knows it's bullshit and he's got to figure out how to come up with his bullshit spin. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't yet, because I don't think he likes the idea of lying to his coworkers. Um, you also meet Ed, the boss. Uh, and by the way, yeah, these are, once again, characters that are going to be all the way till the end, which I think is great that they actually managed to pull that off with so many. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed, the boss, and he takes some very interesting journeys. But yeah, I forgot, I for, or not Ed, Bob Pogo. Sorry, Ed was the one that got decapitated. Uh, Bob Pogo is like his boss now. Right. Ed was his boss before all of this, before uh, this episode. But Bob Pogo, the boss, and him being fat and gross like that is uh, it's funny because his character kind of takes a journey with all of that, too. And he changes quite a bit. Um, So, yeah, he's an enjoyable character to get to know. I remember just kind of hating him a lot in the beginning and thinking he was gross. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny to go back and be re-annoyed with somebody that I've kind of had a journey with because I've seen all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again where I mentioned that these rewatches are really fun. And then lastly, introduction of the baggage boys. Their names are Carl and Red. And what's funny is is the fuck school reference, how it came up. I did think that was funny and that it made sense. That seems to be exactly how two little pill popping dipshits would come up with an idea yeah. to create a porno called fuck school. 
And I, that's another theme that honestly plays out in the background of the series is their, their porno dreams. Um, so it's, okay. it's kind of funny that it gets introduced this early, but I mean, it's not a main focus of the show, but it is kind of funny that that does play out in the background. So, you know, be at the edge of your seats, folks. We're going to learn what happens with fuck school. Hopefully that's not the spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no. Yeah. Well, for my good, I think the big, big overall good here, and I think you've already touched upon it, is the fact that this feels like a lived world. I mean, this doesn't feel like the second episode of the first season of a TV show. It feels like this world has existed for a long time before, and it feels like it's going to exist a long time afterwards. And um, that that says a lot about the writing. That says a lot about the acting, uh, especially. Um, you know, the fact that these relationships feel as real as they do. And I... I um, I, I, I can definitely see where, where they took a lot of inspiration from King of the Hill and why not? I mean, King of the Hill set the template for what animation could, could do for a realistic type of show. And I mean, realistic is like, in theory, you could have a live action version of the show. Whereas with big mouth, you know, you'd have to have computer animation to be able to pull that off, you know? Right. And, and so with, with this, I think it's really good. In this episode specifically, I really loved the scenes with Bill and Maureen because that brought me back to childhood, <laughs> you know, to where I'm off just 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 worried that my sister's going to do something stupid and she's off climbing in trees, just, you know, uh, acting like an insane person. And then, you know, once once mother comes around, hello, mother dear, blink, blink, blink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Maureen, I like Maureen a lot. She's a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will be at the Halloween episode soon and we'll you'll there. understand like why I have like that I, really it's the Halloween episode that really kind of made me love Maureen. <laughs> like, I just think she's just kind of adorable and a little bit of like, okay, you're a little bit of a brat at this point, but I, I dig her in the long run. Indeed. Now, what is your bad? It's funny because the only thing that I just didn't react well to was the dog humping bit. I just thought it could have been done without. I just think it's like it's common enough that we understand that dogs hump. Maybe if it had only happened with her crying mm-hmm. or only happened with Frank or hell, maybe this was just one of those instances where the rule of three needed its magic sauce to make it okay. But I just I didn't like it. It was just kind of oddly off putting Um, and it took away from even kind of the humor. I thought it was funny enough for her to be crying in a bowl and especially that they did the echoing and you could see her mascara. And even then the dog like being there was funny and feeling bad for her. And then later, like her basically making the dog stay around with cheese. Like, I think there could have just been other jokes. Um, Cause I don't like even rewatching it. It didn't bug me when he did it to Frank. It was like, so I don't know. It was just funny. It rubbed me wrong in that moment. So super nitpick. I had to find one thing. I was channeling my inner Tim for a <laughs> nitpick on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, any others? Oh, no, that, that, that really no? was. I didn't really have much Ooh. bad to say about it. Um, it goes back to, and, and actually, no, I'll just leave it there because I'll do that with my yay, nay, or meh. So, what about you? What was your bad? Well, I, it would be a nitpick as well. I mean, because overall, this is a good episode, but it's kind of a nitpick on the streaming slash Netflix way of presenting a story. And, um, what do I, what do I mean by that? This, 
doesn't feel like a traditional TV show in the sense of having a, you know, first, second, third act, the beginning, middle and end. This felt like a chapter in the story. And I guess that's okay, but you know, maybe it's my age, I guess. I still expect an episode to feel like, you know, it's complete by the end. Um, Complete in some way, whether it's like, whether it's like an emotional ending or uh, an actual resolution of uh, something in the storyline that's being touched upon. So it, it just felt like just a chapter and that's okay and again that is very much a nitpick and if that's the worst i can think of that's wrong with this uh you know that says how how well they're doing but i i just wish that there was there felt like more of a resolution of some sort if that makes sense yeah i mean for me i i didn't necessarily expect I guess it more goes into my, I'd want to go into my overall review of it than react to your bad. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, let's go into the verdict right here because it does kind of tie. Yeah. That. Yeah. Cause uh, really I, I put yay um, mostly because I do think like, really, if you've got time to sit and watch the first two episodes and you want to make a decision about getting into this world, go ahead and watch the first two and treat it as a really long extra special pilot. I would condone this behavior for kicking off the show. If you're not just like me and just binge the whole season, because that's how Netflix was it just these released all at once. It wasn't one at a time like some shows do. Yeah. Um, so it is all there for you. I think they did a great job of continuing to bring you into the world. And then once again, I actually think they did a pretty good job of having a standalone episode managed to happen in there too. They had a problem that was introduced in the beginning with Kevin and Frank that played out. It even kind of hit a little bit of an edge with some of the hijinks with the coworkers. And then it resolved by the end of it. Granted, it it goes back to being funny because it didn't resolve in the way Frank thought that it would, Uh but it did still resolve. And then also just them managing to make everything just really funny of having the number of lines that I wanted to bring up that I laughed at because there were a lot and there were some that I still chose to miss um, just because they weren't as funny as the ones that made me like really laugh hard out loud. (laughs) So uh, it's going to be kind of hard, I think, to have a lot of poo-pooing for me on this show, just because when you're starting off the writing so well, and personally, I just, in my watching it in the past, I don't really remember any episodes that like made made me cringe, right? Like even uh-huh. when re-watching Big Mouth, like I kind of remember being over Coach Steve at some points, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like I don't really think I'm going to have that as much in this series. So for me to have a nay is gonna be probably surprising to me. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, right? When they when they hit it off so well, because a lot of your nays can come from the world being confusing. But I think they really did a good job, like you said, making it a current world. Mm -hmm. Um, bringing you into uh, you'd said it so well a living world right is that what you said they brought you into a living like world Um, and when you do that just so well it's kind of hard to fuck up after that as long as you kind of stick to realistic themes so we'll see these play out and I'm curious if you have any hard nays on any of them in the future but what was yours on this one well, I'm yeah, it's going to be a yeah as well and I I, I think the more I think about it too like it's I am accepting of a lot of art, even art that, you know, is, is silly. Okay. I mean, again, I watched Jackass forever in theaters, folks. Um, chose to. Chose <laughs> nobody, to. Nobody made you. Yeah. Yeah. I chose <laughs> to. Okay. Um, so, 
you know, I, I, you know, if, if I feel somebody is, is creating something and, you know, they're, they're it, it's not being done in a cynical way, like ice, ice baby from vanilla ice or something like that. If people are putting their heart into it, I guess, uh, you know, even if it's not something I would like, I can still give it a shot, I guess, you know, um, when it comes to efforts for family though, I have to give this a hard yay because again, even with my nitpick, my nip, you know, my nitpick doesn't affect the quality of this episode in any way shape or form you are getting intro you're getting an introduction to some great characters um and you know for all the cues that they've taken from king of the hill i mean they've taken the right cues and they've uh i think in a lot of ways kind of improved upon what king of the hill did that's what you're supposed to do words from my mouth essentially yeah they've taken something that had a lot of great success in relating to people and not being too far out there and not necessarily being too zany like king of the hill Mm -hmm. and made it re-relatable again like i loved king of the hill one of my favorite moments of them was when peggy was going to teach sex ed and she was trying to practice working up the nerve to say words like penis and vagina and Hank is like outside with his friends and just hears Peggy yell like vagina or something like that. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and, and this show very much has that feel to that humor where it's going to be able to get you with like little moments like that. Mm. Whereas um, like a lot of like a, Hmm. Like it almost makes you feel like you're this family member that's floating around and you get to be in on some of these jokes and humor rather than it being written to be funny. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, right? Like they're it's not, not really writing jokes. It's yeah. not a performance. You're a fly on the wall. Right. Like it feels more like um like that you are somehow in that world instead of just observing it almost. Like you get the family jokes. And I, I think they've just done a really great job. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, overall, another great episode of another of a great series. Woohoo! All right. As we record this, I you know, I was looking back to my Facebook memories earlier today, and today is the two-year anniversary of when we recorded episode 100. Your very first time on Friends Talking Nerdy. Oh wow, yay! See, I'm good and mm. birthdays and anniversaries and noticing when women get their hairs cut. Uh, <laughs> in other words, I had no clue. Um, yes. but yeah, awesome, cool. That that makes sense because yeah, it was. I remember now February. It was around that time frame yeah. because we were going to start doing stuff, and then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah, COVID happened, and then um, also that was right around the time the professor was moving back to Portland. So you know, the show did take a little hiatus during the summer. But um, I gotta tell you, these past few years have been fun. I have absolutely loved the fact that you know, on Friends Talking Nerdy, you've gotten to be a part of the show that you did help create. No matter how much you talk down about it, you are very much a co-creator and are a valuable member of what we do here. And I know for me, as long as I got a breath in my body, I'm going to be podcasting because I, this it's just so much fun and I can be creative. I can do all this stuff. And I'm glad I have you on this journey. Yeah, I'm glad I've got you too. It's like a joke I had made to the Mr. Reverend. It's like, even if nobody ever downloaded it, it's like I still get to hang out and talk to my friends like once a week. So that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it, I mean, we kind of tackled about uh, tackled this earlier, you know, for as much as I feel this show can be big, like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, and this is the peak of what we've done, it's very much a huge success in my book. So thank you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for uh, co-creating it with me and doing thank all you. the hard shit, like I mentioned, because I do none of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> somebody has to, and then this is this is part of the stuff that I like. I mean, I like I've recently started buying podcast books too, in terms of you know figuring out how to manage the world of social media and promotion and all that stuff. So I'm learning just as much as anybody. But uh, <laughs> yay, learning! Yay! But <laughs> maybe one day I'll learn things and stuff too. <laughs> Well, at least one of us has to, and that will be me. How about that? <laughs> okay. You can rub it off on me. I'll just like use you instead of learning things myself. <laughs> there we go. So I think we will wrap it up here. We thank you all for listening to another episode of the TNT Review. Each Tuesday, we're going to come back with our review of another episode of a season of our favorite television shows. Yay. We will be here. Indeed, indeed. So thank you all very much for listening. Also remember to check out Friends Talking Nerdy as well. And don't forget to get your propane and propane accessories. Okay. Wrong show. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. All right. We will bid you adieu. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys.